Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Osher Ginsberg podcast, episode number 46. I'm Osher Ginsberg, and you're you, and we're here together making podcasts, and it's fun and great. Thank you. This is a weekly conversation with someone that I feel real inspired by, and if things go well, it's a conversation that will hopefully leave you really inspired as well. If you're new, welcome. Please check out some old episodes. There's 45 other ones. If you've been here a while, thank you for being here. If you like the show, please rate and comment in the iTunes store on your phone. Please share out a link to this show. That's the best thing you can do for me. If you like the show, that's the biggest, biggest thing you can do for me. You can always get episodes online at osherginsberg.com. And thank you very much to everybody that emailed back to the mailing list. Um, if you sign up for the mailing list, uh, you can write back to that email and write in your questions for the anniversary show. There's a first anniversary show, um, and I'd like you to be a part of it. So just uh, write me your questions. You can leave a voicemail at osherginsberg.com as well, but you know that's okay. People it seems they just want to ask me questions on email. And that's fine. Um, I'd love you to be a part of it, but I'm going to need some more because it's an hour long show, and uh, I'm good, but I'm not that good. I can only riff for so long. But thanks for uh, everybody that emailed through wishing me that I felt better. I'm starting to feel a bit better. Um, this splendor flu has absolutely smashed me, but I'm, I'm trying to get there. Um, not only are my lungs full of gunk, but uh, my brain has decided to go, you know what? So you're lying in bed with fever. How about you have some anxiety as well? How about that? How about we just make you afraid of nothing at all that's rational whatsoever? How about that? Um, so I've been dealing with that this week, which uh, kind of sucks, but... Um, 
that's you know that's the brain I've got. Uh, that is the brain I've got. And uh, yeah, by the conversation that I've had with my guest today, it might also be the brain that uh, I somewhat have earned. Leanne Hall is my guest today. She's a clinical psychologist. She's a wife. She's a mother. She's someone you'll be familiar with if you're in Australia. Uh, there's a weekly lifestyle program called The Living Room on the 10 Network. She works there. She's also an author. Um, she's written a few things, including contributing, contributing a fascinating chapter to the book, Understanding Why, which you can check out uh, at the website of the book, understandingwhy.com, understanding the letter y.com. She and I talk about her path to becoming a psychologist and then we kind of get into what happens to our brains during our early 20s and um, what heavy partying can do to us and also offers some real incredible insights uh, for people who are in their 20s and trying to deal with older people perhaps in the workplace or within their family and and vice versa. So it's a, it's a really interesting conversation. I was very intrigued by what Leanne taught me, a little scared actually as well after discovering that our brains are still busy building themselves while in our early 20s at a time when I was doing anything but looking after my brain cells. Um, I hope you get a lot out of this chat. I most certainly did. Uh, if you like, uh, you can let Leanne know that you heard her here. She's on Twitter at Leanne MindBody, L-E-A-N-N-E, MindBody. She's there on Twitter. So enjoy this. Leanne Hall. Let's have a chat with her. Hi. <laughs> How are you today? I'm very good. Welcome. Very good. Thank you. Welcome to welcome to welcome to Bondi, um, the eastern suburbs of, of of Australia. Yeah, it's not a bad place to hang out, is it? Really, I could think of worse. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty nice. Now, I'm really glad you can be here today. I want to talk to you a lot about stuff. This is just notes. All right, I'm not no like I'm not surfing the internet. <laughs> Or, or looking up things that, or Googling things that you mentioned. Oh, really? Tell me more about mm. Freud. Tick, tick, tick. Yeah, Latest status update. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing research as, as, I, as I roll. Uh, but I'd like to talk to you today about, about a bunch of things. Yep. Um, particularly, uh, I'd like to talk to you about uh, the contribution, contribution you've made to a book called Understanding Why. Mm. But also, um, you know, a few other things, because on this show, I talk a lot about what's going on in my brains and um, people yep. uh, respond and go, Hey, I have that too. Um, yeah. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, what's going on? But I, I guess I, the first thing I'd like to know because I've met a lot of people that do your job, but only mm. ever when I'm paying them enormous amounts of money for their mm. time. Why do you get my bill? The end. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> why? Why does someone? Were you a little girl and went, "I want to become a psychologist"? Oh, well, yes and no. I think I decided pretty early on. I was one of those unusual people who knew once I hit about 12 or 13 that this is what I wanted to do. Um, I remember toying with various ideas in primary school, like I want to be a vet, I want to be a doctor, but it was always something to do with helping people or creatures. So there were a few kind of milestones I think that happened when I hit sort of 12, sort of 13. My dad left when I was, a week before I started year seven, he just up and left. And then seeing the impact that had on mum was just like mind-blowing. And, and because I get comfort through understanding, I thought, well, I want to know why, you know, and I want to know how to help my mum. I want to know how to fix her. Um, then I had a niece who is only 10 years older, younger than me, I should say, who was diagnosed um, before that with um, sort of autistic tendencies, not autism, but she had learning disabilities. And and I was involved in the assessment process with her. And, and, and so that kind of gave me a window to what psychology is. 
Um, and then it just kind of sat with me. I, I didn't really make a conscious decision, but it was just always there. So I found that I got to the end of year 12 and off I went, did a Bachelor of Arts, bugger all degree, as my dad said at the time. <laughs> but um, yeah, off I went. It just was a fit. It fit with me, I guess. Because I, I think I went to a, the first time I went to a shrink, I was five. Yeah. Wow. What was that like? Weird. We used to <laughs> sit there and play Battleship. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Play chess. Yeah, so I guess I wasn't really right as a kid, as a little kid. Yeah. I'm getting sent along to a psych. Did you ever go as a kid? Not as a kid. I first went when I hit, I probably should have. I think looking back, I had anxiety my whole life. Uh-huh. I just remember it my whole life. So I probably should have. I took myself off to see someone in my honours year at university. I went and saw someone for about six months. Uh-huh. Um, wasn't particularly helpful. <laughs> well, I'm quite open about that. I mean, you know, that mm. I, you know, I, I've been through therapy and I'm the product mm. of therapy and mm. I'm only here because of therapy. And uh, when I talk to people about that, they, I don't know, I guess it was just always really normal for me as a kid mm. to, to be going along. And then we went to family therapy, which was a horror show. Mm. <laughs> There's nothing yeah. worse. Everyone just screaming in the same room at once. Yep. And, you know, but two people are getting paid for it. Two people, not just one. Yeah, it was a husband-wife team. Wow, okay. Yeah, it was a horror. It was a horror show. Uh, And, you know, I guess when I talk to people about it, they're like, oh, I don't know if I want to tell people my secrets. Mm. I just say, look, every player has a coach, man. (laughs) Well, and we've all got secrets. You know, I think it's quite normal really, isn't it? And, and, I mean, I think we can go through life sort of denying that we have sort of issues, but I don't know whether that's particularly helpful. I don't know. Yeah. Mm. Do... Does it help you? I mean, when I started working in radio and then started working in television, I was never able to listen to radio or watch television the same mm. because I, I knew how it yeah. was done. Yeah. Does it, once you start learning about it, does it change how you look at the world? About psychology? Yeah. Uh, it does a bit. It depends on, on where you're working at the time. I did a stint in child protection for New South Wales Health. So <clears throat> I found that, that that really did skew my perception of the world big time. That's actually why I left and why a lot of people don't survive. There's a very much a lifespan in those kinds of jobs. That was tough. And, yes, that really did skew me in the negative. I was just a cynical bitch, really. Um, saw the worst in everyone. So, yeah, yes and no, I guess, is the answer to that. Sort of depends on where you're working at the time. What are you, like 26 when you're doing that? I was probably younger than that. God. My mouth. Yeah. So I can't imagine by the time things come to you and child protection, what level I've got to. Uh, well, see, when I was working there, actually, I didn't have my daughter. She's 11. So it was before that. The new act had come in. So mandatory reporting of all health professionals, not just professionals who work with kids. So there was a big rollout of that. So there was a growing awareness that this is something that we need to kind of take the lid off. Uh-huh. Um, but it was only filtering through the health profession at that point. It wasn't really... I remember I spoke to a bunch of dentists and they were just looking at me like, why are you talking to me about this? I said, well, you treat families, you treat kids. Yeah, but their teeth. Um, it was just a foreign idea to them that they need to be looking out for this kind of stuff. Uh-huh. So um, thankfully I think now we're a lot further down the track. I would like to think anyway. Hang on. So just to get it straight, the idea is that if a dentist picked up on something weird between mm. a parent and a child, they would have to report Absolutely. it? Absolutely, yep. Yeah, they're mandatory reporters. School counsellors, school teachers, uh-huh. mandatory reporters, yep. In fact, if they have legitimate concerns that a child's at risk of harm and they don't report, then they can get into a lot of trouble. So they Has that helped? To... 
Yeah, but initially I think it was in the way of people thinking I need to cover my own ass. So I think there was a lot of unhelpful reporting that kind of happened when it first came in um, and it overloaded docs big time. They had that, that was around when the helplines first started. So they were just getting completely inundated with so many different kind of calls and so it did put a lot of strain on them. But it did, I think it did raise awareness. It got people thinking of the issue mm. and, and, and it stopped people thinking it's not my issue, it's not my problem. So that's a good thing. Yeah, it's 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 out there for everyone, mm. and I've got a, a duty to. Yeah. My, I would never know yeah. what to look for. Yeah. Often it's a kind of a repeated feeling that you kind of get if you've got repeated contact with someone, and mm. it might even be a vague disclosure that a child makes, or um, suspicious bruising that sort of crops up, or or you know, sometimes you can sort of see it between a parent and a child, or or an adult and a child, really poor boundaries, and you think, wow, that just feels odd. I don't, yeah. It doesn't really feel right to me. Uh-huh. Um, and then the child might respond a certain way that makes you think, oh, I don't know whether that's kind of normal. So it, it kind of it's one of those things that I think can get under your skin, and you find yourself questioning what's going on there. Um, do you think before we were a massive society, when we were in tribes of 140 something, do you think mm. that this was just a part of the culture? Uh, well, certainly in some cultures, yes. I mean, if you go back to ancient Romans, if you go back to the ancient Egyptians, um, incest was, that's just the done thing. Mm. So thank God we don't live back then, hey? Mm. Mm. Goodness me. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> It's no good coffee back then. I'm <laughs> interested. We're drinking no. coffee. Uh, so, I mean, I'm, I'm the child of two doctors and I know that when my parents, and I'm, I'm sure they won't mind me saying this because it's true, when they need to go see a doctor, they'll go see a doctor. But if the doctor doesn't tell them what they want to hear, they might go, you know, oh, that's what Barry says. I'll go see what John says. Yeah. So when a shrink needs to go see a shrink, where do you go? When a shrink needs to see a shrink, good question. Do you know any good ones? I don't know. When a shrink goes to see a shrink... <clears throat> I think we get stuck. I mean, I think we have peer supervision. So I, not that I've done it for a while, I must admit, but usually we will have a chat once a fortnight mm-hmm. you know, with a group of peers and we have a chat about our, who we're seeing and, and just a general chit-chat about that kind of stuff. But when it comes to our own personal issues, we all technically should be seeing a supervisor. We should be seeing someone that we can debrief with and work through that with, but that costs money. And unless most of us, for most of us, I think, unless we're actually really struggling with that emotional stuff, we just don't take it up. We just absorb it. Oi. I'm absorbing at the moment. I don't know whether that's a good thing. <laughs> really? But Because I can't imagine, like I have, you know, just I'm flat out with my boundaries just dealing with mm. just the people in my life on a regular basis, keeping my boundaries up. I can't imagine what it's like having eight clients a day, yeah. one telling you this, one telling you that, one telling you this, and each of them coming to you at a peak moment of, oh, thank God I'm finally here at Leanne's house. I can, mm. I can finally relax and just unload everything onto her. Yeah. How do you steal yourself for that? You just mentioned the magic word, which is boundaries. It's the only way to do it. My boundaries have been years in the making, I think, and um, probably over the last few years they're quite robust now. So I do have extremely good boundaries. Every so often one creeps through and I find myself thinking of that person when I go home the next day, I wonder how they're doing. When that happens I have to stop and say, what is it about this person that I can't stop kind of thinking about? Um and, and I think having a good work-life balance. I only mm. do one and a half clinical days. I've worked out for me that anything more than two full clinical days a week is too much because I'm, it's emotionally very, very draining. And I, I'm not one of those therapists that sits there and kind of vagues in and out of the session and just rolls on to the next one. Who are you again? Oh, yeah, I did see you. Oh, yeah, remind me again who you are. I know who everyone is. I, I can remember their stories. Mm. So because that's how I like to work, 
two days and I'm completely maxed out. Well, it's good that you found that mm. point. Yeah. Because I can only imagine how, what kind of trouble you could get into if you just thought it was a nine to five, five yeah. day a week thing. Yeah. And most people do. They think, well, you get paid a fortune. Look at your hourly rate. You think, yeah, well, I don't see eight people a day, five days a week. Yeah. I couldn't do that. Yeah. I'm sure some people do. Maybe they just operate differently to me, but yeah. I can't do it. <laughs> I had a sh- Speaking of boundaries, I had a shrink. Uh, I had a shrink fall in love with me once. It usually works the other way around. Yeah, I know. Wow. Yeah. He, That's awkward. <laughs> he, fell, he fell in love with me. Wow. It was weird. Oh, gee. It was gee. really strange, yeah. How did you get out of that one? That's tough. Um, it was unfortunate because I really needed him at the time. Ooh. And um, he just kind of, you know, told me that, you know, oh, it's it's not your fault. And, oh, you, there's no way that a charming man like you could ever do. Oh. No, 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 it's not you. And then I'd go home and say, you know, he tells me it's not me. It's not me. Yeah, it didn't work out very well. It was really weird. It was very creepy. Mm. Yeah, I didn't like it very much. Well, you know, they're in a position of kind of, I don't like to say power. It's not really power. Some yeah. call it power, but it, it's an unequal relationship, isn't it? So that's kind yeah. of really uncomfortable. Yeah, it was. It, it was. Uh, anyway, uh, that's over now. Moving <laughs> <laughs> on. <laughs> which, I, which I'm glad about. Now, you've written uh, a very interesting chapter for a book called um, Generation Y. Yep. Why now for a book about Generation Y? Like, can you define how old a Generation Y is now? Like, how old they are now? Yeah, what's the scenario? 20s to 30s, yeah. roughly, yeah. Um, this came about a long time, well, months and months and months ago. Charlie Caruso is the editor of the book and it was her idea. Mm-hmm. She herself is one of these extraordinary high-achieving Y-gens who mm-hmm. has just done wonderful things in media and, and various things. And she sort of came up with the idea of writing a book about Generation Y because they're misunderstood for the most part. So she thought, let's write a book for employers. It started out being for employers and for people that are actually working with YGen to help them understand them and understand the way they think. So she's managed to rally together a bunch of amazing people. In fact, I'm really incredibly quite flattered to be in that sort of company, to be honest, um, to sort of write a book about YGen. And, and I think it, it, as it went along, it developed into something bigger than, than what the initial idea was. So it, it's now become something that it's gained so much momentum and I think she's got some amazing contributors and it covers such a range of sort of mm. topics from, you know, startups to, you know, just the the misunderstood Y generation. Yeah. Yeah. Will the book still be relevant in 10 years from now? I mean, it's just basically talking about people yeah. who are between 20 and 30, right? Pretty much, yeah. But But I think part of what it highlights too and certainly my chapter is about the challenges that every generation faces mm-hmm. and the fact that we are different to the previous generation some of the struggles are the same the developmental milestones are the same but we're doing it in a you know young people today are going through those developmental milestones in a fast-paced society and culturally they're in a very very different um setting i suppose mm. as, to, as to our parents when our parents were growing up our expectations were quite clear you go to school you know you get married you do this you do that mm. and you just kind of followed what was expected mightn't have been very happy about it, but you kind of did. Yeah. Um, now there's so much more opportunity and things are changing so quickly and information technology and social media and they're bombarded with opportunities. So it's it's a lot harder for them in many ways, I think. I, I, do, want, I do want to talk about that, but the developmental thing was the thing that I, mm. that really struck me because you, you were kind enough to send a chapter over it. I had a bit of a read about it. Uh, and you write that um, the brain continues to develop in our early 20s. Yep. So... If the brain continues to develop through the early 20s, what effect 
does say, I don't know, like epic blackout drinking, daily marijuana use and experimentation with drugs have on that? I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> You're asking for a friend. Well, you might want to tell your friend. <laughs> um, huge. Like it, it's yeah. huge. And, and I think that's, yeah. That's, yeah, I smashed it. I, yeah. 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 I was playing in bands. I was like, because yeah. before I was in radio, I was like, the 19, 20, 21, 22, it was just crazy. Yeah, and oh, you weren't alone, that's for sure. You weren't doing it on your own. And I think probably what we know now is is the damage that, that actually does to the developing brain is, is, is significant. So particularly around your frontal lobes, um, your higher reasoning and abstract thinking, that kind of thing, they're the lobes that are still developing at that age. So, you know, in your early 20s, you, you, you tend to be using more of your limbic system to make decisions. So you're very emotional, impulsive. That's the lizard brain. That's the lizard the, brain yeah. pretty much. So with the frontal lobes developing during that time, if you're bombarding them with, you know, a lot of drugs, then you're actually impacting on their development quite significantly. Boy. Yeah. It was more alcohol for me. Yeah. I, well, I don't think, you know, I grew up in Brisbane, so we didn't really know what alcohol and weed, we didn't really mm. know what I think now. And, I, you know, I talk to friends now who are younger and like as far as, you know, ecstasy and molly and MDMA and things like that, you know, just like the colossal weekend use mm. of that yeah. what effect does that have on that kind of development well it's different for different people i think and and some people for some unexplained reason have resilient brains you know mm. some people can can bounce back from that people always point at keith richards and go see oh yeah i don't know whether that's the best example <laughs> yeah is it? right um but this is it. You, 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 you wouldn't really be able to answer that question without knowing what that person will be like without having done that sort uh-huh. of behaviour. So I think we know that it can impact and on things like attention, um, things like memory span, um, things like working memory, anything that requires any sort of higher reasoning, so that abstract thinking, that kind of thing, um, that's the kind of stuff that tends to be affected more so than the other stuff. So you might find that someone that has had a long history of binge drinking as they become adults, um, yeah, they're often less, they can't think as abstractly, you know. They, they tend to be a lot more concrete in their thinking, a bit more black and white. Um, sometimes they're a bit, bit more unable to be flexible in their thinking and see things from multiple perspectives, that kind of thing. Um, they tend to easily get stuck in, in certain things and they can't move, move past it. So, um, yeah, those sort of higher reasoning type tasks. But then again, it's difficult to know whether for that particular person, whether that's personality as well. Um, as uh-huh. I said, it's difficult to know unless we could have an identical person with an identical brain, yeah. not drink or, or do drugs and then kind of look at the difference. So, but when I, when I read that, because I see my, ne- my nephews who are uh, two and a half now and I see how much effort and care is put into like they're developing, their brain cells are growing. They're, yeah. but, is it the same amount of developing that's going on when you're like 19, 20, 21? It's actually more. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Because, because neural pruning, which is kind of, so you have multiple kind of connections, multiple neuron connections. And when you hit your early 20s, it's the last phase of pruning. So all of the kind of functions that you don't need, don't use, tend to get pruned. And the ones that you do use a lot get reinforced. Mm-hmm. So that's when you become set in your ways. That's when you become more set in your thinking is, is when you're early 20s. Before that, you still have a degree of flexibility around how you kind of think about stuff. So, yeah, it's quite important when you hit those early 20s. I mean, if you're, you know, consistently sort of thinking and behaving down a certain path, that tends to get consolidated. So, yeah. That just, it just strikes me so much. That so much of, I mean, growing up in Brisbane, just the, the level of drinking that was, oh, this is what we do when we're drinking. Mm. You know, just a couple of 
pots, not even schooners. We're talking Brisbane, so 185 mil. Yeah. Just a couple, of, like three of them, uh, would be a vague stretch mm. before we got into the warm up, <laughs> before yep. we even went to the main race. All right. Yep. We'd buy beer by the jug. Yeah. All right. Five dollar jugs at the RE. You know, just the amount of and. If no one had any classes on or no one was working in the day, it was like, well, I guess we're drinking the blackout today. Yeah. Unreal. Let's go. <laughs> and brilliant. Call someone on the payphone because we don't have a cell phone. Uh, but like that's the kind of that's the kind of drinking we were doing. And and for you to say that, you know, you're essentially stunting yeah. your ability to think across a spectrum of options. Yeah. That's kind of freaks me out. Yeah. Yeah. If you think what your frontal lobes are like your you could sort of look at it like your your conscience. Mm-hmm. You know, your, your frontal lobes are the things that can actually help you see reason. So if those are the things that are impaired, then you're less likely to kind of see reason and, yeah. But, you know, we're pretty resilient. We've been on the planet long enough, haven't we? I don't know. But can you... Oh, I, guess, I guess I just got really freaked out by when you, that you, you, you said you become really kind of binary in your thinking. You can, yeah. And But then... You know, I've been reading, particularly after I, you know, I got divorced and after I, you know, stopped drinking, that I've been learning a lot about neuroplasticity. Is mm, this something that you mm. subscribe to? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's enough evidence to support it. I think back when I was doing my masters, it was out there as a bit of a theory. There was a little bit of evidence to support it, but yeah, we were a bit unsure. Whereas I think now we've come a lot further in that research. So. And this is the idea that those consolidated pathways you were just talking about can actually be rewritten. Yeah. It takes effort, but you can do it. Yes, 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 absolutely. And and certainly in people with acquired brain injury, I mean, that's where it's really kind of seen that, you know, Mm -hmm. their functions are completely stuffed basically. But if you train their brain, other parts of their brain can pick up those functions. So, you know, you you get people that have been told they're never going to talk again. um, They're never going to remember your name. They're never going to be able to walk. And lo and behold, look what happens. They're doing things that are surprising everybody. And that's actually why. So the brains, we don't know much about the brain. That's just, it. we're still unlocking it. So on one hand, I think we know that sort of binge drinking, alcohol, whatever has a massive impact on the brain, but we don't really know enough about what the brain does with that. So I think there's still so much unknown. We're learning more every day. <laughs> the other thing that, that you write about is that, and you know, I've been before I knew that that was a, se- a generational separation between me and the people younger than me, mm. I was one to say, oh, I can't stand that person. They're so self-centered. They're so self-absorbed. Yeah. They're so narcissistic. Yeah. And it was only when someone, my big, bro- my biggest brother and my younger brother who both work with people in their early 20s are like, I don't know, that's just, that's just, it's not even that. It's not what you're saying. It's, yeah. That's just people who are in their twenties. Yeah, and I remember being really freaked out by that. Mm. Um, but you're saying that this is, uh, you write, this is this is an effect of this this, mm. this development. Yeah, yeah, certainly because, it, and that's partly brain functioning as well. It's like you know, you, I'd get a parent having worked with a lot of teenagers. You get the parents that come in and say, "Look, little Johnny." You know, he just doesn't seem to be able to do the right thing. And I just want him to think about his life and, and, and have a think of where he's headed and what he wants to do. When I look at them and I think, actually, I've done this where I've, I've, I've had, or actually worked with the psychiatrist that used to do this. And um, I then adopted it because it was just so powerful that you, you, you show them a brain and you say, this is your brain. And then you take the frontal lobes off and you say, this is your son's brain. You are asking him to do something he's not equipped to do. Um, so 
you know, I think I think for, for young people, they do turn inward. They are very self-focused. They are very self-absorbed. But that doesn't mean they don't know empathy. They don't know how to connect. So um, I think sometimes we make that wrong assumption that because they're self-absorbed and narcissistic, that therefore they can't connect with other people in any meaningful way. They absolutely can. Um, but they're given a rough deal, I think. If you find yourself, like if say if you're 20, 21 mm. and you're like, everyone else has got the problem, it's not me, yeah. how would you like looking outward from that, like if someone's listening to this and they're, you know, 2021, how would you advise them to, you know, deal with when people react to them and call them these names? Uh, You know, they're probably half right. Yeah. They probably are half right. It probably is them. Um, the other person I should say, but, but I think for a 21 year old to kind of become introspective and think, "Mm, how am I contributing to this situation? It's a very, very hard thing for the average 21 year old to do. Um, but you know, if, if I was 21 again and I felt like I was being judged by people older than me or whatever, I'd just connect with my peers. You know, you connect with like-minded people. I think that's the best way around. Find your tribe, yeah, I would right. sort of say. But um, And just accept that there is that generational kind of gap. It's like, you know, with teenagers, I say your parents don't think the way you do. You're not going to make them. You can't force them to think like you. Um, they can't force you to think like them. So, you know, you've got red glasses on, you've got blue blue glasses. You know, if you can try and swap, but at the end of the day, you just have to accept that you see things in different colours. Um, and for, for many sort of young people, accepting that is is liberating because they realise that, you know, there's nothing wrong with me. I just think differently to them and mm. that's okay. I don't need to think the same way they do. So just that understanding I think can help. So and what would you advise someone, for example, if they're trying to communicate with an employer or, you know, a, a lecturer or, or not necessarily a parent, like someone without that yeah. understanding and, and empathy that, oh, well, you came from my loins, I guess I'll yeah. eventually concede. Yeah. What if it's someone were like, this is my boss yeah. or, you know, this is my girlfriend's father? Yeah, yeah. What are some ways that people can kind of bridge that gap? I think for young people part of what they get stuck in is thinking that that other person, I need to convince that other person that I'm right or I need to convince them, I need to make them see what I'm thinking and, and, and switch their thinking to be in line with me. You can't do that. So I think for any young person trying to communicate with an employer, they have to come at that with, come at that with a perception that, all right, I need to first of all accept that you have your perceptions and I can't control that and, and I have my perceptions and I may not be able to communicate, you know, I might not be able to convince you of my perceptions, but that that's okay too. So you're not trying to change their thinking. Your goal is to just communicate what you're thinking and what they do with that isn't within your control. So, and I think that's the other thing young people get stuck in is that they'll communicate their perception and then they take their reaction personally, um, which just escalates the situation even further. Whereas if they can just stop and say, look, that's how you're reacting to me at this point in time. I can't control that. Um, it's a big thing to do, yeah. very, very big thing to do for a 21-year-old. That, Absolutely. I, just only when we're just talking about this, I remember when I started in radio, I was 20 mm. and it's 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 a personality-based business. Yeah. You have uh, two floors of people who are paid to talk. One of them are sales mm. and one of them are announcers. Yeah. And everyone's on show and there's just it's just ego and yeah. and, and and but everyone's getting paid and that's yep. what you get paid to do you're paid mm. to be this big thing and i remember just having no concept at all why all these people look at me like what are you doing ginsburg yeah. what are you doing you yeah. don't talk like that in a meeting to that person mm. i'm like but he called me uh, you know, yeah. Just, yeah 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 yep. yeah yeah i just truly truly didn't yep. get it and i got a yep. thank you know it was like three program directors in a row who by the 
good nature of their heart never fired me. Yeah. Because I, goodness me, I should have been yeah. fired the way I've carried on. Yeah. Because I felt I was so self-entitled. I was exactly yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. Um, you know, I was just like, but this is why I do this. Yeah. And this is why you're wrong. So yeah. I'm going to go and do this. Yeah. I can't imagine what yeah. kind of a little prick I was. Well, you know, and you can't really, the idea, it's like young kids in school, you know, um, there's a lot I don't agree with, with with the education department like in a big way. But to try and communicate to a young 17-year-old that, look, you just have to play the system, you have to make it work for you and sometimes mm. that means you just have to shut up. How do you do that at 17 or at 20? How do you find yourself in an organisation knowing that they're running things poorly or they're doing the wrong thing? How do you not say anything when you're that age? It's hard as a, as a sort of, you know, I'm approaching 40 as well. It's, it's hard at this age to be able to kind of accept that, look, you know what, I just need to turn away from that because I can't change it, um, let alone when you're that age. It's tough. Mm. Particularly if you've got that real sense of right and wrong and but this is right, that's wrong, to just be able to shut up for the greater good mm. or, or it, it's kind of tough. Well, no, I was and I just think about the generational change, what role does not having a family so early play in this. Because I remember when I was, my parents had me yeah. and my brother late, all right, for their generation, yeah. they were late starters. Um, I think my mom was 32 when mm. she had her, is, her yeah. son, 72, mm. all right. So I remember going at pickup time, there were women picking up my, one of my best friends, I won't say his name, but I remember his mom came to pick him up. She was 27. We were wow. eight and yeah. she was smoking, smoking. hot. <laughs> Smoking hot, 27, yep. total yummy mummy in the yep. Our Lady of the Rosary Kenmore car park. I was like, wow, wow. who is that? <laughs> Hi, mum. Wow. <laughs> now, she would have had this kid when she was 19 or, or, yeah. or 18, all right, wow. as you did in Brisbane in yeah. the day. So I'm like wondering, like, what people, like, in the 80s <laughs> when you're 21 and you got a kid, like, are you self centered and narcissistic or are you like, I've got a kid now. Do you go through that change and you're like, my life's not about me anymore. My yeah. life's about the kid. Well, I think that's what they did. My mum was, oh gosh, 19. when she, she was 36 when she had me, but 19 when she had my brother. And I look back at when I was 19, oh my gosh, me yeah. kids at 19. I think that's what they had to do though. And as I said, I think their their life path was clearer than it, it is for mm. us, you know. That was kind of what, what you kind of did. And I'm certain that there would have been many women in that situation that wouldn't have adjusted very well, but... I think the majority did because that's what their peers were doing as well. So it, it was a relevant thing for them to be doing. It's not like I'm the only one at 18 married with a child. It's like so is little Sarah over there and Rose yeah. and all my other friends. So they had a sense of connectedness and they felt normal. Good Australian country names there, Sarah and I know. Rose. Like good stuff. Well, there you go. I just picked yeah, those out Yeah, out of, of nowhere. Good Catholic. You know, she, Sarah from Lithgow. Sarah. Rose from Gosford. Louise. Myrtle. <laughs> Good Australian country. Diane, good Australian country. Naming their kids Kevin and Train. Uh, but you keep talking about this and it, and it does, it, it bears talking about that. We're talking about a society that we live in right now, sitting mm. here in 2014. You know, I think about, and, you know, I mean, I've talked to you about, I tell everyone that I'm kind of struggling a bit at the moment. And I, I think about, you know, is it a fantasy that life was simpler? There were three channels on the telly, you got one job for life, um, mm. 
you lived a lifestyle that was entirely consequence free. Yep. You could burn whatever the hell you wanted. You could throw anything you wanted in landfill. You could just turn the hose on and leave it on all day yeah. and not care. You could smoke all you wanted, eat all the meat you liked and, yeah. and say sexist and racist things on telly. People go, yeah, good Yay. one, mate. <laughs> but is that, you know, is that a fantasy? Like I wonder, like, it, was that better than what we have now? Because you see what that has led us to. Yeah. And you also see that that's fine for people that were or are mainstream, but that's not okay if you're not. You know, like you look at a lot of young people struggling with their sexual identity and, and you know, particularly those, you know, like myself growing up in a Catholic family and there were expectations. And, and I remember, you know, when you're little, one day when you grow up and have children and get married, um, the expectation was put on you, you know, when you're really, really young. I have to pull up family members of mine now when they say to my kids, when you get married and I have to say, no, don't say that because they might not. Oh, oh, I get that kind of a reaction. Huh. But so, you know, I think for those that perhaps felt early on that that's not what they wanted to do, they were stuck and, and they're the ones that I think life was hell. So today I would think for those people is much better. Um, yeah. But I think for many other people, they look back at that and think, oh, man, I wish, you know, simpler. Exactly. Like there were really, there were three channels on television yeah. or four if, if you were lucky and got the ABC yep. or if you got Channel 10 when it came along, it came along later. Yep. And so there really wasn't that there wasn't this paralysis of choice. No. Of like I have the entire sum of human information at the palm of my hand at all times throughout the day. I can be entertained by any single piece yep. of content on earth. So I won't watch anything because I can't decide. Mm, and we all watch the same shows. Hey, hey, it's Saturday, and well, you know all of those kind of. There's a common cultural identity. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and so this must lend to a lot of confusion if you're. Because mm. uh, there's no way I'd want to even consider being a teenager now. Goodness, no, no. I know, I know. I think also that the choice that we've got now contributes to isolation for young people. Yeah. You know, I think back then if you, like I just said, you know, we all watched the same shows. We all had roughly the same kind of hobbies. So there was a connectedness that we found through that with our peers, whereas mm -hmm. now, you know, there's so much diversity and so, so many different interests and, and, and whatever. I think it's harder for young people to find their tribe. I think they struggle a lot more to find like-minded people. Generally, and so what do you what do you say to people who are in that situation? Because I, you know, mm. I was lucky. We were somewhat outcast, or we saw ourselves as outcast. But we were the guys that played music in the school hall, yeah. And we talked about guitar players that played guitar very fast, mm. and that's what yeah. nerdy jazz stuff, and that's what we talked about, yeah. Uh, but we had each other, yeah. Uh, now though. That I feel that each one of us, and we found a common ground between the five or six of us, but I think now that each one of us would have splintered mm. in, in infinitely tiny little meta directions of, yeah, so yeah. you like that guy, but I like that guy. And, uh, you yeah. know, I don't know, like, what do you say to someone mm. like that? Well, and that's, I guess, that's the tough one because it's, I think young people also, they're not, they're not connected with what their own interests are. They're so externally focused. They're so focused on what's happening around them that they yeah. don't spend much time thinking about because when you say to a young person, well, what do you like? What do you want to do? They look at you like this, I, what? I don't know. So yeah. on one hand they can be very sort of almost narcissistic and very kind of self-focused, but on the other hand they're not really connected with who, connecting with who they are. They're connecting with who they want to be mm. and that sometimes or often isn't actually who they are. So us growing up, we didn't really put much thought into that. We just did what we kind of wanted to do and we were led in that 
sort of way. Whereas I think for young people now, they're not in touch with it. So the first step for any young person is to get to know what flicks their switch. You know, what are you really interested in? Who are you? Mm. Um, you don't need to answer that, but you, you should at least start. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Thinking about what makes you who you are, what do you like doing, and then find like-minded people that way, um, whether it be through social media, through school, through friends of friends, through the church, through whatever it else it is that you're kind of into. But I do find that that's that's the problem I see with young people. That yeah, that there's that sort of self-focused part of them, but then the fact that they're not really switched on to who they kind of are. If that makes sense, it, it probably it, doesn't. Does no, no, no. It, yeah, it makes yeah. no. It it it, it mm. does make sense. But uh, f- say, for example, you do find that. Yeah. Then it's a taking the step of action yeah, in that yeah. direction. And that's yeah. an entirely different thing altogether. Yeah, at an age where you're, you know, not sure of yourself and you lack self-confidence and you're fearful of rejection, and, and you're being asked to commit to between five or six years of university that will put you in debt. Uh, that may or may not yeah. be in the direction you want to go to. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm right. kind of glad that I didn't go to university until I was 20 and glad that I dropped yeah. out. Yeah. Because I saw mates who went straight from high school into uni mm. and, you know, and then they get halfway through and then they change degrees and they're 28, they're still at uni. Yeah. Yeah. But this is the pressure too, isn't it? Yeah. And, and part of it with education, I think, is that the education department, if you like, is run by people the generation above and mm. even the baby boomers are involved in the running of that. So they still have that mentality of what do you want to do for the rest of your life? You know, you have one job yeah. for life. If you switch jobs, then you're a failure, so to speak. So because they're running the whole system, you've got all these young people that have this pressure put on them to make those lifelong career decisions. Yeah. They can't make those decisions. I mean, you, know, you can't possibly decide at the age of 17, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. It's ridiculous. They're going to swap, swap, swap and change. I think the university system needs to become more flexible along those lines that, you know, to give people a chance of finding their way and, and switching, a bit more flexibility in switching degrees, switching pathways, mm. um, you know, doing things that are about creating opportunity, not limiting opportunity because I think a lot of university degrees, you basically head in one or two directions and, and that's it. Yeah. Um, I don't think that works. I just don't think it works. So, so. W- I mean, because I know I faced enormous, enormous uh, conflict when I, mean, I say now that I was great. I was thrilled that I dropped out of uni, but at the time I was horrified that I was yeah. going to drop out of uni because I felt like such a complete failure. Yeah. It was the worst. I was 20 yeah. and it was just too hard and not what I wanted to yeah. do, but I was doing it because I thought I had to. Yeah. And it was awful. What mm-hmm. would you say to someone who's listening to this going, this university thing is awful. I don't know if I want to do it or not. I think uh, what you just said then that, 
it wasn't something you were interested in and it's not something that you wanted to do. I think obviously that's, you know, that's obviously really important. But, but I felt like I had to. Well, and that's the thing. It's, it's, and, and it's working out the difference between am I doing this because I want to do it or because this is what others expect me to do. And it's that disconnect then between, again, between what I want and what I think I want based on what, others want me to do if that makes sense so mm-hmm. you get you know young people who score really really high they get you know 99 ATAR oh, I have to do medicine oh that's the high school test yes okay. yes the high school test so you know they'll get a ridiculously high mark and off they go into medicine into law into another similarly mm-hmm. you know demanding degree is it really because that's what they want or because that's what's expected of them mm-hmm. and that's a hard that's probably the hardest question but um and often you don't work that out until you start it so but I would sort of say to any young person I've seen oh, I saw a young girl years and years and years ago who was doing law similar kind of girl and Family, very traditional, you know, we want you to do law. She got halfway through the first year and absolutely hated it. Switched to psychology, in fact, in second year. And from what I hear now, she's going great guns and she's as happy as anything. So she figured out that it wasn't really what she wanted. And your, your values start to emerge at that age too. You start to work out what, what you value. And she had a very strong um, moral, you know, sort of sense of right and wrong and justice, which is why she went into law in the first place. But she also realised that what she thought was her strength for law was also going to be her undoing and her weakness because she just couldn't sit right um, in that kind of area. So working in psychology is something that's much more aligned with how she sees herself and who she is. So... Yeah, those that stuff emerges though as you go along. There's such a sense of permanence mm. that I felt about the decision mm. when I was when I was 20. There was such a sense of because I'm saying no to this, it yep. means that I will be classified as a failure. Yeah. If only I could shout back in time to myself, I'm like it's going to be all right. Yeah. So I left it to pursue a career in radio, which you know worked out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you really do get that feeling. You get that feeling that it's going to last forever. Yeah whatever this, this is. Yeah. Um, but later in life, you kind of figure out that that's not how everything works, yeah. right? Yeah, that's right. And just because you're pulling out of something on your terms, um, albeit because it's, it's too hard or it's not what you want to do, doesn't make you a failure. It makes you proactive, doesn't it? Yeah, because yeah. I think, you know, many people will sort of sit with it and just continue on and on and on and on and struggle and struggle and struggle and they end up back at the same place anyway. So I think it's probably being being proactive and actually acting when you're not happy rather than sitting with it um, I think is probably a strength rather than a weakness. And if only young people saw it that way that dropping out isn't about failing, it's, it's about you listening to that tap on the shoulder that says, yeah, mate, this is just isn't for you. It's just not what you should be doing. At what age does your brain start to solidify and, you know, this kind of Chaos tends to kind of settles oh down. Some people never. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's the good news. Oh, again, everyone's different. But I, I, I personally think late twenties, sometimes you know, early thirties. Yeah. I think you still. I think for me, probably it wasn't until I was in my early thirties that I, every. It's like the, the pieces of the puzzle sort of started to kind of make sense, uh-huh. and and I started to realise who I really was. But I, I remember all through my twenties trying to figure it out, you know, and and not consciously, but I look back now and think oh, I had no idea. You think you do back then, but yeah. You know, I was sort of married and then, you know, that that sort of marriage reached a natural end to it probably in my late 20s, you know, early 30s. So, you know, I married someone who I thought was perfect for me, um, great guy, but not me at all. So, and that was all through my 20s. So I made that decision in my early 20s and I don't regret anything, but I certainly look at my husband now and think, wow, they're so different. Yeah. How did that happen? <laughs> oh, you give me hope. 
you oh, me home. Yeah. I was lucky that I got a dress rehearsal. So <laughs> well, this is it. Got a full full tech rehearsal with lights and uh, camera cues and yep. everything. That's it. That's it. And and you know you you can't help but dissect your past relationships and think, well, you know it wasn't all bad for sure, but yeah, what what can I take from that? What can I learn from that to take into the next one? Yeah. Mm. Um, because I, you know, I just—I know I mentioned it before, but I was—I was really shocked with because I like to think that I'm a fairly open-minded person. I mm. like to think that I'm fairly flexible in my thinking, but I was super shocked when both my elder brother and younger brother looked straight at me and were like, "I oh, don't know, no, that's just—that's just." I was—I was having a, a crank, a cantankerous old man moment yeah. about um, somebody that I worked with who was constantly texting while mm. I spoke to them, and, oh. they, and they wouldn't look me in the eye, mm. or someone who would Google a name they didn't know that I mentioned during a conversation and and my eldest brother who had been tutoring at university mm. at, at the time through his, he was finishing his master's at the time and my younger brother who worked in the Department of Education, they both went, oh, no, that's, that's what young people do. They rely on technology mm. to fill in the things that we used to go and ask an old person about. Yeah. So... Yeah. I did kind of want to ask about that. What role does technology play in the development of of this? Because I used to have such a bee in my bonnet about spelling, grammar. I'm such a pedant <laughs> when it comes to grammar yeah. and spelling and and just overall general knowledge, overall like I know stuff rather than I have to Google it. Yeah. But that's my generation yeah. and I get the sense that it's not the, not the case right now. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not. And they do over-rely on that. And and we see that that sort of behaviour is just downright rude and disrespectful. Um, how dare you do that while I'm talking to you? That shows that you're not respecting me. That's not how they think, though. That's how we think. You know, they are thinking several things at once and they're trying to kind of see the big picture and, and sort of see beyond what you're actually saying. So they're skipping ahead and looking on Google and whatever. They're not actually – they might have a, whole, a lot of respect for you, but they show it in different ways. So, um, yeah, that's kind of tough. But technology – I mean, I think probably young people think a lot quicker. You know, I think that they're not just thinking about what you're saying. They're thinking about what they're about to say next and what that person over there would say and what that person over there would say. So they're kind of internally multitasking, if that if that makes sense, and they use technology really well for that. Um, and I guess their sort of thoughts would probably be, why should I hold it all in my head when it's at my fingertips? Maybe it's a more effective use of your brain is to sort of outsource. I think they do that. They outsource intelligence. They say, well, I don't need to know that. I can just look that up. Um, that's why they can be fabulous at running organisations and running companies and, and startups. You know, that's why they're so good at it because they rely on others. They, they, can, they collaborate. And they're the first to say, actually, that person knows about that. I can look at that for that and I can look at that for that. I don't need to have it all in my head. So the flip side of that is it's probably quite smart in some ways, maybe. But then what happens when there's no Wi-Fi? Well, they're staffed, <laughs> basically, yeah. And well, this is the thing, like what I'm fascinated to know, what does that do to, and I remember asking Dr. Carl about this, what yeah. does that do to curiosity? What does that mm. do for this, I just have to keep digging to find a different answer because I take the first answer that Google returns yeah. to me as truth. yeah. You know, what does that do to the nature of curiosity and the nature of how are we going to find more creative solutions to the real challenges that face us as a society yeah. if an entire generation of people is satisfied 
with the first answer that may be completely unverified yeah. that they see. Yeah, but I also think that there are, it's a very curious generation. I think, you know, all generations are curious to an extent, but I do think Y-Gen are very, very curious. So I don't, I think that there are a, a significant number that will just stop at the first thing they look at, but I think there are others that do question and that say, I'm not sure about that and that they will sort of dig deeper. Um, so when you've got, you know, obviously they're going to be running the country at some point, aren't they? So like us, you know, there's people in our generation who are lazy thinkers. There are those in our generation who are, you know, kind of more sort of um, curious and, mm. and will kind of look into things just like there is with, with Y-Gen. So, um, yeah, I think there's a there's a significant number of, of Y-Gen that are really impressive with how, how they just dig and dig and dig and dig and dig. Um, so Has there hope. been any research done into the effect of – uh, this kind of outsourcing of knowledge? Not that I'm aware of. I'd be fascinated to yeah, see it. Yeah, yeah. It would be interesting, wouldn't it? Um, not that I'm aware of. There may be. There because, may like, be, as you're saying, if, like, parts of my brain have been filled up, I know mm. an enormous, like, an enormous range of subjects, I know a wafer-thin amount just enough to impress yeah. you at a cocktail party. Yeah, yeah. And then segue delicately into the next topic. Yeah. All right? But if all that bandwidth that has been taken up with a gajillion facts about a gajillion mm. things but not a gajillion facts about one thing. Yeah. Oh, sorry, two facts about a gajillion things yeah. rather than a gajillion facts about two things. Things, yeah. If that was all taken up instead with problem solving, mm. you know, uh, tactics of, of, of finding, you know, interesting solutions to things or different yeah. creative ways of thinking about things because I didn't have to hold all that information in my yeah. brain, that fascinates me. Yeah, yeah. As it like like the, the their brain, is it like an empty supercomputer? Yeah, yeah. That doesn't have to hold any information, and yes. all it is is amazing subroutines to find solutions. Versus yeah. my brain, which is just full of a lot of uh, the names of bass players from obscure eighties funk bands. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about that. Actually, Francis Rocco um, Prestia. Yeah. Let me tell you, <laughs> that guy can play a sixteenth note. Happy yeah. googling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, look, it's a really interesting thought, isn't it? Um, but I, I look at my kids, well, not so much my son, but my, my daughter, and, and, and she's very much along those lines. She's yeah. sort of 11 and, you know, she's still going through the traditional education system. So she's she's learning in a similar kind of way that we learn. So, you know, they do hold sort of some information, but, um, but yeah, she's increasingly not reliant, but, but utilises sort of Google and, and, and the internet and, and various other things, people as well, um, you know, she, she so, and I think she's representative of the next generation, which is I, I think, I generation, I think they're called. After the millennial? After the Y gen, I think it's I, I think so. Is that, I thought it was me, I'm X, then Y. Yeah, then Y. Then millennial. Millennial. Yeah. I think Y is millennial. I thought Y was after X. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there's Ed. No, we've had Zed. Yeah, mm. I think it's millennial. Okay. Well, that's what they call it in the States okay. anyway. After yep. Y comes millennial. Yeah. Either yep. way, I just want to be present to that I sound like an old man having mm. this conversation. I just no. want to just want to point that out. But I'm okay about it. Look, I'm, I'm really I'm, – I'm fascinated about it. I was having the conversation last night yeah. when someone asked me why I left Channel V. Mm. Um, and I've talked about that with Danny before. It was mostly social phobia. But, um, <laughs> but it was also – I remember standing at a um, – I was standing on stage at Federation Square in Melbourne and uh, there was a band called Dashboard Confessional were playing and I was I was watching 5,000 people, 1,000 of which were in tears, sing along wow. with the song that I was like, nah, don't get it. Mm. I was like, okay, I've, I'm 32. 
yeah. I'm going to have to get out of here because I'm not getting goosebumps and this isn't resonating with me because wow. clearly this is something that is for another generation. Yeah. So that was the moment for me. I was like, okay, I should get out of the chair and let someone who gets yep. vibed up about this to let get them let them get in the chair because mm. that whole generation of music just like whoosh, gone. Wow. Missed me completely. And it was a really yeah. sad day. Yeah, that, there'd be some grief attached to that, wouldn't there, wouldn't there actually, you know? Yeah, when when that's your life and your passion and your love, mm-hmm. to kind of reach that point of, yeah, it's just not doing it for me anymore, that's... Yeah. Well, I just realised that, oh, what is enormously popular right now yeah. does not resonate with me at yeah. all. Yeah. I have to get out of the way and let someone in yeah. that it does because I'm not, I'm faking it. Well, and, you know, I feel old when I listen to some of the music now and I think, oh, it just sounds like every other song that I hear. And, and I tell the story about my dad. I was watching, obviously, very sort of a lot younger, um, In Excess, I Need You Tonight. Yeah. It was on video hits, whatever mm-hmm. it was back then. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching it and my sort of dad walks in and he says, oh, who's this idiot? And I said, Dad, this is In Excess. And he looked at it for five minutes and said, trust me, one hit wonders and walked off. And, you know, that was the point at which I also realised you just don't get it, do you? Yeah. And I've clearly, you know, they were anything but one, one hit wonders. Yeah. But I, I reflect on that when I judge what my daughter listens to and what the young folk of today yeah, right. listen to and I think, oh, absolute rubbish. And I think of that moment of my dad and think, Leanne, shut up. Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> we um, Now, we, we first met because, uh, you know, we, we were talking about, about mental health and, and one of the things that you write in this, this chapter of the book, uh, Generation Y, that you contributed to uh, is that young people today have the highest rates of mental health problems yep. but they are less likely than any other age group to seek professional mm. help. And I'm, you know, I'm a big advocate for, and I talk about it all the time, it's like you've got to go get it taken care of, like treat it like a bung knee. You've got to yeah. go and look after it. Why is it? Why do people not go and find help? I think for the most part they see it as a weakness um, to kind of admit that you're struggling and that you need help. I think young people, and, and you know, it, it's at a time when what others think of them is critical to mm. their to, to who they are or how they see themselves. So they have to, in their mind, just suck it up and deal with it. And because you know, they don't sort of talk about it. They don't have that kind of validation from anyone around them that what you're experiencing is actually quite normal. So, you know, when you say to a young person, do you realise that, you know, one in two, one in three suffer from depression, anxiety? Um, so really how big is your group at school? Ten. Okay, well, likely to be four or five of those probably are experiencing something similar or have or will experience something similar. That in that piece of information for many young people, you immediately see a weight lift off their shoulders um, because they just don't sort of talk about it. So I think more than anything, it, it's a fear of being judged mm. um, and I think it's a fear also that there's something wrong with them. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I just think at a time when you're trying to figure out who you are, it's a very confronting thing to accept that you might need a bit of help. Yeah. Um, and then there's also the thought of no one's going to get it anyway. And I think a lot of young people go through it. And that's what depression does. It, 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 it tricks you into thinking that no one's going to understand. So mm. that's another factor. They sort of think, oh, well, no one's going to understand. Who can I possibly talk to? I was, I was 19 when I got gratefully caught by the public health system on my way spiraling yeah. down. Mm. Like I wasn't speaking to anyone. I was hiding in my house. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was horrible. Yeah. I, and I turned up and I'll never forget it. Like nothing smells like uh, a state-run mental health facility. 
Yeah, they're all the same, aren't they? Yeah, Ooh. cigarettes and BO. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I remember, and and thankfully, you know, I I I I got caught on the way down, and and I was I was nineteen, but it was yeah. it's sort of a dangerous time to be a young man at nineteen. Oh, it really yeah. kind of I got the feeling like that if I hadn't, I'd certainly get the feeling that if I hadn't gotten caught on the way mm. down, that I would have. You know, I would have fallen off the edge of it. Yeah. I really, really do. Because I wasn't leaving the house. I wasn't talking to anybody. Oh. Yeah, it was yeah. awful. It was awful. So, but I remember seeing someone, I, I saw it for like two years. Mm. Between, um, yeah, 19, 20, 21, uh, yeah. I saw her. But it was uh, it was really, really f- scary. I never talked to any of my friends that I was doing it. I never mm. told anybody. Um, mm. What are some things that might be, you know, if people are listening and they're wondering, is it me? What are some things that might be, you know, a... Uh, a flag that is being raised? If I think probably one of the earliest kind of warning signs of that sort of stuff is when you start withdrawing. Mm-hmm. So when you stop doing things that you used to love doing, whether it's playing soccer or hanging out with mates or playing the guitar, when you find that you lose interest in that stuff that used to be a way of coping for you often. So people often say, yeah, that, that the things that I used to love, which were the things that used to kind of make me feel better, it, it just doesn't work anymore. So it starts off by the guitar doesn't relax me anymore. I'm just not enjoying it anymore. So then you stop. Then it becomes too much of an effort to go out with friends because then you have to put on that face of, hi, how are you going? And, and so the withdrawal I think is a big thing. The other thing is if you – concentration, sleep, the basics, you know, if that kind of stuff starts to go out of whack, then that's another red flag. So if just functioning in day-to-day life becomes hard, it becomes tough, um, big red flag. Concentration. Yeah. So people – but who concentrates? No. I, I look at Instagram pictures for f- three seconds before I flick to the next one. Yeah, I don't yeah. need to concentrate about anything. Well, and I think it's more if, if there's a shift in your own concentration. So, um, yeah, th- that's one thing. But certainly for people that are at school or at work, if they find that they just can't focus on the job anymore, their marks are suffering, mm. they've been yanked into, the, into their boss's office and told that they're not doing things properly or not completing things. So if there's a change in their, in their concentration, I think that's a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and often people will say, I feel dumber. They'll say, um, you know, oh. that, that that's a really a really common thing, and and that's a depression. It just stuffs up your thinking. So, a common thing will be, I just don't think I'm as smart as I I thought I was. Huh? Mm. It's fascinating. I've felt that. Yeah. I've felt that a yeah. few times in my life. Yeah. And what about and what about at the other end? What about anxiety? What are some things that might be a flag for that? It's actually quite similar. Yeah. Um, avoidance, 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 avoidance is is anxiety all over. So when you start avoiding, so I mean, this is the thing with anxiety as opposed to depression. We all have anxiety. It's, it's normal. It's mm. part of how Keeps we are. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So unlike depression, which we can work at kind of almost getting rid of, you can never get rid of anxiety. So you know, I guess it's about accepting that being anxious before an exam or anxious before a big gig or whatever is totally normal. But if the anxiety stops you doing stuff, if you're starting to avoid things because of that anxiety, that's probably the biggest red flag. Then there's the other things like sleep, you know, if your appetite goes, um, you know, sleep and diet and you're not exercising. So if those start to get out of whack as well, another red flag. Right. Yeah, I remember uh, – Either I would either sleep not at all mm. or for 14 hours. Yeah. And like that, that's it's not just undersleeping, it's oversleeping yep, as well, yep, right? Yeah. Oh, sleep wake cycle. I mean, I've worked with a few psychiatrists who the first thing they do with any young person they see before they even go anywhere near their sort of symptoms is look at their sleep wake cycle. And the first thing they'll do is, is try and help get their 
sleep-wake cycle back again because if you're not sleeping, it just makes everything 100 times worse. Right. So, I mean, there's no point in trying to treat someone's anxiety or depression if they're getting four hours of sleep one night and 14 hours the next. Yeah. It's just not going to work. So, um, oh, yeah, but some days, come on, man. <laughs> some days you just want to cancel that meeting and you do, and then you yeah. go to bed at 1 30. Yeah. And you wake up at seven to eat something and you go back to bed it's at bed. 10. Mental health day. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and you know it feels so bad, but you sleep deeper than you've ever slept yeah. before, and it feels so wrong, but you do it anyway, and then you do it the next day. <laughs> <laughs> then you're in you're in a hole, and you can't get. It. This is the other and thing, you, though. Then you don't bother about showering anymore. No, <laughs> no one's coming over anyway. My oh. sheets smell. Could be bothered to change them. <laughs> Now I'm talking for about a friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this, this friend of yours. Yeah, yeah. yeah just talking about <laughs> a friend of mine again. Yeah, look, I, there's a fine line between self-nurturance and self-indulgence with that sort of stuff, I think, isn't there? That, that's another tough one to try and work out. So yeah. sometimes staying in bed, watching movies, not going anywhere can be a good thing if it's nurturing yourself. But, yeah, fine line, isn't there, between that and am I just indulging something that's not helpful? Very, very fine line. Yeah, am I isolating mm, further? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or am I taking time? Time out. Yeah. Yeah. How do you figure out which is which? Often one comes with loads of guilt ah. <laughs> sometimes or sometimes the nurturing one you can feel guilty too. But but often the, the negative one you end up in that cycle of guilt and and there's also that thing of even if I wanted to I can't. Mm. You know, the self-nurturance often you'll have a day in bed and then you'll feel completely energised the next day. You'll think, oh, it's just what I needed. Now I feel like I can kind of take on the world again. Mm. Um, whereas the other type tends to just get worse when you give yeah. into it. So. Yeah, but yeah, it can be sort of a fine line, but yeah. And what about things like if you're feeling like if people listening to this and feeling a particularly like they're having a, a tough time, um, I don't know when I'm having a tough time, getting on Facebook doesn't help. Yeah. You think it does, but it doesn't. No. Because or I'm seeing someone else's photoshopped in some <laughs> cases, but definitely contrast-adjusted uh, and perfectly timed greatest hits version of what yep. their life is like. Absolutely, yep. And the part that they want me to see, not mm-hmm. them feeling like I am now. Yeah. Because I'm not going to post, hey, I'm having a terrible day. That's right. And I think the world's going to end. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to post that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Facebook doesn't yeah, really help. It does doesn't. It? Facebook is how we want to be seen. Yeah. So, and I think a lot of social media is that way. There's a big difference between our Facebook life and our real life. Mm. Some people that difference is huge. Others, you know, it's not too different. So, and I think you can kind of often pick the ones who are living their fantasy life, their ideal life on Mm. Facebook. They're on it all the time. Their status updates are every 20 minutes. As you say, everything's photoshopped and looks perfect. Um, But yet they never have time for anything. This is what interests me with people like that. I'm so busy. Yet there's... 50 status updates in one day and a, a multitude of selfies. And so you think you don't have time because you are living on this thing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's a dangerous thing, I think. For, but in other ways, it's a good thing. I, I certainly don't think social media is a bad thing at all. But I think if you're feeling vulnerable, it's bad. Right. I can't, unless you somehow are able to connect with people that kind of make you feel better I guess Mm. so you get support from people um rather than validation that your life's crap and everyone else's is perfect 
and, and finding out, you know, the top 15 things that cats like to do with toast <laughs> or whatever. That's always fascinating though, isn't it? Oh, Not, I can't stand it. But you yeah, make a really good point about, you yeah. know, I'm so busy because you, yeah. you get on that business, you just you, you run out of time. Yeah. And by the time I got to the fourth page of Reddit, I'm usually like, okay, I'm going to have to stop this. I yeah. have to go do something. Yeah. I've seen enough memes for my day. Big time waster, isn't it? And yeah, I'm into Instagram at the moment. It's great because it's so visual. You don't you don't have to sit there and read stuff. Yeah, who wants to <laughs> read it? Pretty pictures. <laughs> who wants to read? I've got no concentration. I destroy my uh, brain cells at the it. Royal Exchange Hotel. It's it's the shorthand version of Facebook. I can't be bothered trawling through people's you know kind of paragraphs and status updates. I don't have time. Yeah, right. <laughs> but looking through pretty pictures, it's kind of cute. So yeah, I'm even sucked into it. Yeah. Plus, I'm into the whole food porn thing. I love looking at food. Yeah, who doesn't? I just love it. So, you know, I get on Instagram and, you know, there's particular kind of pages, if you like, that I sort of subscribe to and I get their pictures and think, oh, how can I make that? Oh, how can I make that? So that's how I spend my time. But you're not saying I can't make that because you don't really know that person personally. Some I do, but others I don't. All right. Others I don't. But yeah. you're not comparing yourself too much then. No. Like you're more inspired by absolutely, that. Absolutely, absolutely. Whereas Facebook yeah. seems to me to be designed to be, yes. I'm better than you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. And then when you get the whole kids factor in, people are, you know, bragging about their kids. My kids are so perfect. Luckily, I've got a whole bunch of very real friends who I, most of them I went to school with who it's not so much like that. Um, but it's usually about, this is the thing too, it's usually about the same people that comment, the same people that mm. respond. Then you've got a whole lot of other people who you just never hear from. There's lurk. I just find that really – and then every so often they'll like something and then you think, are you stalking me? <laughs> You've not commented on anything in six months. <laughs> now you're commenting on a photo I posted three months ago. How does that happen? Right. So, um, yeah, it's always kind of interesting to – I overthink clearly. Oh, mate, me too. So if yeah. people are listening to this and they've resonated a little bit with what we've been talking about, what's their first port of call? What's, what's the first thing they do? If, where, where can they find help? You know – I used – well, no, and I still say you can't go past a good GP. You know, I think um, if you don't have a family member or a friend or, or it depends how old you are or, or a school counsellor or a teacher or, or someone, then GPs are worth their weight in gold. They really, really are. And if you don't have a good GP, find one. You know, there are plenty around. Sometimes you just got to go word of mouth. Mm. Um, but if you have a good GP, then I think you're set because they are then – you know, like they can link you in to, to a whole number of different services. Uh-huh. So whether it be psychologists, psychiatrists, um, psychotherapists, naturopaths, hypnotherapists, whatever you whatever you need. So right. I would often say GP. Right. Mm. Yeah, my guy's a GP. The guy that helped me the most is yeah. my, his GP. Yeah, yeah. And, and look, I've worked in lots of general medical practices and some of the GPs I've worked with are outstanding. They're, they're yeah. fabulous. So... Oh, yeah. And young people, it's hard because often they're still going to the GP that their parents take them to. Mm-hmm. That can be tough. Um, but often there might be another GP in the same practice that they could mm. kind of connect in with and, and see. Um, yeah, I, um, I'm, I'm in contact with someone I'm, I'm, and uh, and I remember having this conversation with, exactly that conversation with her. I'm like, she did, just didn't know any other doctor. Yeah. Like they're everywhere. Yeah. And I remember telling her only because I'm kind of biased. I'm like, go for an old one. Mm. Find an older doctor, yeah, because they've seen four hundred thousand cases, yeah, and they're generally more compassionate. Mm. I don't want to, you know, 
you know, all those young doctors out there are now freaking out. I don't no. want to cast aspersions. Yeah. I'm sure young doctors, there was a period, they've, cha- they've changed the intake process now. Yeah, at, yeah. At, I know they've changed the intake process at New South Wales. So there's yeah. an interview now. But yeah. there was a period of time there where it was like, as you're saying, you got great grades. This is the quickest path to a boat. Let's go. And yeah. so folks weren't getting into medicine for perhaps different reasons yeah. than you know, helping people mm. where that's, you know, it's still, like I said, it's different now, but yeah. you've, got to, you've got to find your guy and it's okay to shop around. It absolutely, you're you the boss. To, you may have to give your history a few times and that's okay. Totally worth it. I always tell that to people when they're looking for a new shrink. I'm like, it's okay. You can yeah. just go and just be dating. Yes. You know, you don't have to go and, yep. you know, commit a hundred percent. You yep. can just go and see if you vibe with this person, if you feel that they can help you. That's right. And then go and see another one. I'm yeah. a big believer in that. Yeah. You yeah. have to, you have to have that kind of connection and rapport with, with someone. Yeah. And yeah. No. Well, I used to teach med students at New South Wales. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, um, Wow, fascinating. Second year med students and their lack of knowledge about basic stuff like how people have babies. No joke. And these were second year med students that didn't understand how conception occurred. Or we did a a class on um, drug and alcohol and (laughs) this was a tute actually and we're sitting around chatting and I said, well, come on. I was very naive at this point. Come on, guys. Who hasn't tried a bit of weed? And my hands just flung up in the air. The looks on their faces. You know, it was almost like they were looking at me like my drug-addicted tutor. <sighs> Who are you? Um, and then the questions came. So do you inject marijuana? So What good. does it look like? And I increasingly became aware that, oh, my gosh, like these people have no idea and I'm going to get complaints and I'm going to get fired and... All kinds of things went through my head. But, um, yeah, it just fascinated me yeah. the extent to which they just didn't know base. And these were people in their secondary medicine. Wow. Um, unbelievable. So let alone how to interview a patient. They had no idea. And these guys were going out on prac. Huh. <laughs> There's a scary thought. I'm sure it's different now. It is. It is. It changed when I finished. So, okay. yeah, that they've completely changed the way they teach the subject and uh, the, the course and I know they have absolutely changed. They were one of the last universities, I think, to change their intake uh-huh. procedure. But you're right. I mean, they do do it via interview now. So, so yeah, well, I guess what we're trying to say is that the doctors that may be a little less empathic yeah, are out there. Absolutely. But so are doctors that will save your life. Yep. And they, I mean, my, my dad has a great story. My dad is still working. He's 70. And um, he says uh, by about 11 o'clock in the morning, by about his third patient, he's a rheumatologist, by about 11 o'clock in the morning, by about his third patient, he says he has this overwhelming feeling of just uh, just joy and, mm, wow. and relaxation wash over him because he just likes helping people. Wow. By about his third patient by the time he's That's had that. Amazing. Yeah, he just likes to help people. Oh, and it's okay. very much a quality of his business is very mm. much quality of life stuff. There's no cure mm. for rheumatic disorders. It's yeah. just management. So it's very much quality of life stuff. Wow. And so he just. Gee, he'd be so good at what he does. Oh, he, yeah. Yeah, he'd he's have. A, yeah. the smart ones, the rheumatologists. Yeah. They're clever. Yep. Um, there's so much to talk to you about. We'll have to figure yeah. out. Okay. Um, thanks heaps. Your ace. The book's called Thank Generation you. Y. It's out everywhere. Yeah. Well, it's actually available on Kindle now. It's not get been. It. Oh yeah, get it, read it, review it, review it, review it. So totally, get we, on board. Yeah. And, um, and you find you on the living room as well yes. on, on Channel Ten. Yeah, yep, yep. Which must be fun. That's when I get to balance out all this other stuff with just loads of fun. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's just a hoot working with those guys. They yeah. are hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Why yeah. do you like Having it? a ball. It's light, you know, it's yeah. fluff, you yeah. know. I mean, the, the topics that I cover are big, serious topics, but I have, you know, five minutes. So clearly I can't cover a millionth of what I want to cover, but yeah. it's just fun. So and and the guys like the crew you know that the, the cast of the show they are just genuinely funny people and very real and authentic you know yeah. I, I kind of this is my first tv gig so you have your preconceived ideas of oh god this will be good let's yeah. just sort of see how this goes and we'll just run with it and um what's astounded me is that you know that the people i've met so far are just so genuine um yeah and happy to be kind of, you know, vulnerable in, in their discussions with you. And I've had some great chats with Barry and, you know, Amanda and Chris and Miguel. They're just, they're, they're genuinely lovely people. And I'm not being paid to say that. No, I, I, <laughs> no, I, I'm sure. I, well, I, well, I'm grateful that, you know, we had an hour to talk and not a yes. five minute segment. Oh, yes. Yep. Yep. Actually, there is so much, isn't there? Even I'm thinking, oh, but we haven't talked about this. And we yeah, there's, about there's that. a lot. There's a lot. We, yeah. we could probably do an hour on each thing we talked about. We probably could. We probably uh, could. Yeah, we, we really could. Um, thank you so much. Uh, if people want to find you, they can find you. You are on Twitter. I am. I, I'm, I'm still trying to understand the whole Twitter thing. I don't quite get it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, Instagram is what I'm having more fun with. I've, I've just got to. I need a crash course on Twitter. Any YGen people out there that give me a, a crash course on Twitter, I'd be most grateful. Uh, so you're you're Leanne Hall on, on both? I'm mind body I'm Leanne Mind Body on um, Twitter and okay. I'm Mind Body Connect on Instagram. All right. Leanne Hall, but Mind so Body you, Connect. Yeah, yeah. yeah, see number one, you've got to have the same handle on both. Yeah. See, yeah, rookie mistake. Yeah. Yeah. So Leanne Mind Body on I'll Twitter. Get there. And Mind Body, body connect. connect. That will be my website when it's up and running. Mind Body Connect on Instagram. I should change that, shouldn't I? Anyway, you figure it out. It's that's your a conversation show. for another day. Do whatever you want. We'll get <laughs> someone from Gen Y will yeah. gratefully offer to take care of it for you. Um, you're a gem. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Hey, Thank no you. Unreal. And that's Leanne Hall. Lovely, right? Such an insightful conversation. Find her on Twitter at Leanne Mind Body. L E A N E Mind Body. Um, she's also on Instagram and Facebook, as she mentioned. Let her know you heard her here, please. Um, that would um, make her day, make my day. Thanks so much for listening. It's the highlight of my week to make this show. Once again, I'd love you to be a part of the anniversary episode. Please, if you have any questions whatsoever, please email me them. Email me, email them to me. Just write back to the mailing list address, uh, which you can find. Uh, on my website, osherginsburg.com. You sign up to the mailing list and just write back to the mail out that I send out and that's where you can find me. Have a great week. I'm going to be doing what my doctor tells me to do. <laughs> that's what I'm going to be doing this week and hopefully I'll be able to report a little more positively next time we speak. Um, until then, thank you for listening and uh, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Yeah.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.